Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church Podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. Have you ever wondered what it would like to would it be like to win the Powerball and not to ever have to worry about money again? Jimmy Fallon did this thing where he asked people to hashtag if I won the Powerball with all the things that they would do with the money they want. Within 20 minutes, it was a trending topic. And here's some of the things that people tweeted at DK First said this, I would buy all the seats at an Adele concert. So when she comes out, I would just smile and go, hello, it's me. (laughs) Hello from the other side, right? At Amp 89, Fan09 said this, I would buy a Lamborghini with pennies, then change my mind after they counted it all out. Man, that's just mean. That's just mean. At Arsenio Gym said this, I would buy all of MC Hammer's stuff, and then I would touch it all. <laughs> yeah, you you got to be an old person to know that like myself. I just... He had an old song for you youngers. It was called Can't. How many of you guys remember that song, Can't Touch This? Yeah. How many of you guys have never heard it? Raise your hand. Okay, yeah, everybody's heard that. Okay. Adkick468 said this. I would pay someone to smack food out of my hands to make dieting easier. Amen. I think I would do that. See, the odds of you actually winning the Powerball are 1 in 300 million you're more likely to become the president. Since you probably aren't going to win the Powerball, we better have a plan for our future and for our money, shouldn't we? And here's the great news. God's word gives us a plan. It gives us instructions and guidelines to live free from the stress of finances. Money has been in the news a lot lately, as we've seen in this clip. Gas prices are up. Interest rates are up. Home prices are up. Man, everything costs more. We are experiencing inflation at a record rate. You can't watch the news or go online without seeing something or someone talk about money or the economy. It's normal and natural to have a conversation, talk about money everywhere you go. However, when you talk about the money in church, it makes people feel nervous. I understand because when I first became a pastor, it made me real nervous to talk about finances as well. But I don't feel nervous at all because I understand that this issue is actually has a huge impact on your relationship with Jesus. It's probably one of the most important things that you'll figure out in your life. Because here's my prayer for you. I want you to feel free from the financial pressures of this world. And I want you to be blessed so that you can be a blessing to others. So that's my goal. Those are my goals for you after this message. To be feel, feel free from the pressure of finances and for you to walk in the blessings of God. So let's pray as God speaks to us. Lord. I know this was a topic that I would get real nervous to talk about, but now, Lord, I I feel an unction to share your message with others because, Lord, you want your people to be free. And I pray for aha moments today. I pray, God, that you would begin to speak to us as your word would come alive to us. Amen. This morning, we're continuing our series, Scared to Death, and I'm praying that this message will alleviate some of the fear of the financial future and give you a path to financial freedom, security, and peace. Because right now, the reality, a lot of people are scared and don't have peace about their finances. July 2021, Capital One released a survey that said that finances are the number one cause of stress in America right now. 
that 73% of people said nothing stresses them more or triggers their fear more than finances, more than politics, that's more than their marriage, that's more than a problem with their kids. And the younger they are, the more stressful they are. 82% of Generation Z is stressed out about finances. 81% of millennials find out, say that finances are so stressful. And it's not just limited to adults. Kids pick up on the stress too. According to American psychology, stress in the American report, 30% of children say they worry about their family's financial problems. When they ask their parents, they realize that 18% of them said, man, I, my kids don't, aren't stressed out about it. So your kids are stressed out about finances, whether you know it or not, according to these studies. And here's a great thing. The Bible gives us a lot of instruction when it comes to money. There are 2,500 verses relating to money in the entire Bible. Jesus talked more about money than any other topic. Half of all the parables Jesus told had to do with money and possessions. Here's a mind-blowing thought. Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven, hell. He preached more about money than he did prayer and faith combined. Why? Does Jesus not need your money? Absolutely not. He owns a cattle in a thousand hill. If I translated it today, he'd own the Lamborghinis in a thousand parking lots. Jesus has everything. Jesus wants what that money represents, your heart. Here's a spiritual truth. And the Bible teaches us that money is a spiritual test from God. In fact, money is the biggest spiritual test of your life. God doesn't just test us once, but he'll test us over and over and over again. Luke 16, 11 says this. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling, underline that, your worldly wealth, that's your income, that's how much money you make, who's going to trust you with true riches? Jesus is saying how we handle our worldly wealth will determine how much God can Bless us. This is so important to God. Why? Because this is what Jesus says later on. He says in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Money reveals what we worship. The Bible says you cannot serve God and money, or the King James says mammon. That money has this kind of spiritual attachment to it. And what happens is you want to know what you're passionate about. Jesus says this, Follow, it's like Hensel and Gretel. Follow the path of where your money is going. Look at your bank statement. Look at your Venmo. Look at your Apple, ca Apple Pay. If you say you love Jesus, it'll show up in every way of your life. When it comes to money, Jesus isn't interested about getting the money out of our pockets. Like I told you, he has all the money. He can, he can pull coins out of fish's mouths. He can call bread from heaven. Jesus has it all. He's interested in getting the idols out of our hearts. That's why I talked about it. Because when we have idols in our hearts, when money doesn't have its proper place in our lives, it leads to a lot of faulty spending on our behalf. And that's where the financial challenges come. And so with that understanding, I want to point out some faulty principles that our culture has when it comes to finances. Because every one of us, every one of us has guiding principles to their finances. You might think, not me, Benito. I don't have any principles. I'm just living day to day. Like, you're like most people. You haven't written down your principles, but you have them. And if you don't learn to manage your money, your, ma your money will manage you. Most people live according to one of these faulty principles. Here's this first faulty principle is this. I need more. Especially in the culture that we live. We live in a culture that's, accept, that's obsessed with more, bigger, better, upgrade, new, improve. Look what Ecclesiastes 4.6 says. Better is one handful with tranquility, amen, than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. My dad taught me a great lesson as a kid. And it was, went like this. 
son, if you can't afford to pay for it, pay for it in cash, you don't need it. My dad was a firefighter. He would work 24 hours on, 24 hours off, old school back of the day. And then after every two, every three weeks, he'd get 72 hours off. And every day when my dad was off, we'd go play basketball, we'd go baseball, we'd go hiking, we'd go camping. I had an amazing childhood. And I remember one day I asked my dad, Dad, how come you don't have new cars and boats like all of your other friends? Like we have this old car. It's not too old, but it's about 10 years old. And you're always working on it and doing all these things. Man, why? He says, okay, son. I can get a new car, and I can get a boat like everybody else, but that means I'm going to have to, like, uh, get another job and get some loans, and we can't afford to do all the stuff that we're doing right now. What would you rather do? Would you rather drive this car or have a new car and have me with you, and we can have money to do all this stuff, or would you rather have me work all the time so you can go to school in a new car? I said, Dad, that's a no-brainer. I'd rather have you. I'd rather have these moments together. My dad taught me the importance of prioritizing family and living below your means. And I've tried to follow example, but, but I haven't always followed the example. I remember one day the AC in our car died. We had just moved to Texas, and a car without AC in Texas during mid-July is as close to Hades as I ever want to be. Jennifer was a new mom, Alana was still a baby, and I could not have my family without AC in the Texas heat. And it was going to cost me $1,200 to fix that AC, according to my mechanic. So I told Jennifer, let's go look at our options. Let's go look at the used cars, not used cars. We had a certain amount saved. Maybe we had a budget going in there. So we went to a Toyota dealership. We looked at all the used cars. But then, you know, those salesmen, they're kind of like sneaky little fellows, aren't they? They said, okay, yeah, I know you're looking over here, but let me show you our newly redesigned Toyota Camry. It just got released this week. It's amazing. As they showed us that Camry, angels were singing above the car. It was amazing. It had so many things that I had never seen before. We went with, with a budget, but that was a brand new car. It was way, way over my budget, but it was shiny and new, and, and I could play my phone on that car. That, that, man, this is way back in the late, in the 2008, 9. Man, people wouldn't do that back then. It was amazing. I said, okay. I, said, I know you probably can't afford it, but here's what we think. I know you want to stay in a 36-month loan, but we can extend that thing out to 72 months. You got good credit. Let's make it happen. So they sold me. I was a sucker. It was one of the worst financial decisions I ever made. It took me forever, almost a decade to pay off a car. This is attitude. I can't afford it. I want more. It can get you in trouble. My greatest childhood memories were trips we took on a car that was paid off. Some of my most difficult, most stressful moments were trying to, how to figure out how to come up with the money for a shiny new car. Another faulty attitude we have is this. I gotta have it now. For those of you that are a little bit older, remember this thing called layaway? Remember how many guys remember layaway? Man, like... Yeah, this is crazy. I know it's crazy to believe right now. You would find a shirt that you like. You couldn't afford it. You'd put like $5 down, and you'd come back, and you'd bring $5 every week, and you could not actually take it until you paid for it. Does that even exist anymore? And there are so many young couples out there, and you want the kind of house and furnishings and life that it took someone 30 years to build. Here's my advice to you. Be patient. A little discipline today will lead to big gains tomorrow. You don't need new furniture. You don't need a new TV. You don't need a new washer right away. You be patient. Let me tell you, you can have dinner on a card table, and it tastes just as good as that $1,000 table that everybody has. 
And I know, man, we want to have pillows and a nice house so we can put it on Instagram. So let me give you some advice. Man, get nice pillows for one little corner of your house and just get that and take all your pictures there. Nobody will know. Like when we first moved to Round Rock, we didn't have any furniture. You know how Jennifer and I furnished the house? On Tuesday, in our neighborhood, was the day where everybody put out the trash. And she would drive up and down the neighborhood. They called her the dumpster diva, seriously. She'd go out there, and she'd get a chair, and she'd get a table, and she'd, and she'd kind of redo it, and she'd make things look nice. And literally, on the neighborhood, they'd call her, oh, the dumpster diva's out again today. Our neighbors would call her, oh, you know, there's a table out there, there's a chair out there. And she was going out there. And let me tell you, man, we might not have the newest stuff, but we still had stuff, and our kid had a great childhood, and we found everything at the dump. I know this is old school preaching and you don't want to hear this. You want me to tell you that God's a jackpot and he's just going to give you the money if you just put it in there? But there's some discipline in the way that we live and we handle our finances. Here's another faulty principle that we have is this. Spend what I have. I read an article on CNBC this week about the financial state of Americans. It said that one out of every three Americans don't have enough money to make it to the next paycheck. 33%. You're like, of course, look at the inflation. But if you die into the article, you will see that it breaks down every single income bracket imaginable. What's fascinating is every single income bracket had the same exact percentage of people who are going to run out of money before the next pay period. In other words, being financially stable has nothing to do with how much money you make. It's how you spend your money. See, we live in a high-income, low-wealth culture. According to the article, if you made between 40 to 70 percent, 40,000 to 70,000, $40, thousand dollars 28 percent of those people ran out of money before the next paycheck but those who made over two hundred thousand dollars how many of you guys would like to make over two hundred thousand dollars for those who men you thought you'd be safe if you make two hundred thousand dollars for those who made over two hundred thousand dollars those individuals actually had a higher percentage of people not making it to the next check 32 percent of those people didn't make it to the next check we think if we would have more money, it would solve all our problems. But it's like that great theologian, the notorious B.I.G. says, more money, more problems, right? The data shows us this, that there's financial principles that need to be in place in your life. And if those principles are not in place when you make 40000 they will not be in place when you make 400000 And it's going to lead to a difficult spot. And it will lead to this final thought. I'll pay it later. Ooh, it's amazing how little... And how easy it is to spend $1,000 on credit card, but how hard it is to pay $1,000 in real cash off, right? According to a credit agency, man, car, the, and this is what it says, credit card debt for each individual in America is $16,601. The average American has three credit cards. I know this is not you, but I'm just telling it so you can share with somebody you might know. Then after applying these principles of that we just talked about, it, how are we going to live by that? Obviously, we're going to have this final faulty principle, I can't afford to give to God. And looking at those guiding principles, you can understand why. But this morning, I want to give you five biblical principles that will bring financial peace and freedom to your life and will release God's blessing in your life. They're more than just this, but I just have a few minutes left. So here's the first one. It's the principle of priority. I said, man, should I put this one first? See, I, the reason I struggled with this, because this is what God puts first. Putting God first. Look at the, it's found throughout the Bible. 
It's, man, a lot of people say, oh, that's just Old Testament stuff. No, it predated the law in Melchizedek. Jesus talked about it in Luke 11. Paul mentioned it in Corinthians. And Polycarp, I'll talk about some of the old uh, first century leaders of the church, all talked about tithing. This is something that everybody's believed for a long time. In, the, in it, Luke 27, 30 says this, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain or from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. What is a tithe? It means 10%. Why is it 10%? 10% means complete in the Bible. And when you give 10%, you're saying, God, everything I have is completely yours. That's the thought process of that. And some people say, man, we can't afford to tithe. Let me tell you, in this culture, you can't afford not to tithe. Proverbs 3.9 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth, with everything, with the first fruits of all your produce. We as Christians, we want to honor, what do we do to honor God? Say you have a birthday party. And if you have a birthday party, who eats the cake first? The birthday boy. So what if somebody comes and gets the piece of the cake and takes it off before you're even there? No. God, man, when you honor somebody, you put them first. And as we as Christians, when we tithe, we say, God, you're ahead of Wells Fargo. You're ahead of Verizon. You're ahead of Spectrum. When we receive an inheritance, we say, God, you're first. When you make that money, and what we say is like, man, you get one potatoes. That God, I'm putting you first with the potatoes. And then God... God's first and God gets nine of the potatoes. And, and I promise, and, and they continue to put the potatoes, this is yours, this is yours, this is God's table right here. People say 10% is a lot of money, but I'm going to demonstrate in this illustration that 10% is actually a whole lot. And this is what, God, man, you get one bag of apples, and he says, okay, Lord, I'm giving you, for, putting you first place. This is your bag of apples, but look at all the apples I get to have right here. All these apples are my apples. And then we, and we look at all those things and we say, thank you, God, for all that he's done. And then, and then you, you, get, you get some of this, uh, man, I really don't know what this is. <laughs> but, uh, I've never had this kind of, it's butter squash, I know. It's butter squash. I don't know if God wants this, but we'll give it to him anyways, right? Like, uh, <laughs> and you got to keep all the other butter squash. I mean, I don't know what you could do with butter squash. It looks really... It looks kind of cool right there. We'll keep it up there, but yeah. And, and this is looking, we get to keep all this. Like God says, just one's mine. The rest belongs to you. And, and if you talk to anybody, they'll say this. Anybody who tithes, they'll say, you'll see how much God will bless them. You get one cantaloupe. Lord, this first cantaloupe, this first tithe. Lord, I realize you've given me all of it, so I'm bringing this to you. This is your cantaloupe. And look how much we get to keep. Look at, man, this is overflowing blessing that God has given here. Notice how much blessing God has given us and so many things he's done. And anybody who's a tither will realize when they put God first that God does more with the 90 than we could ever do with the 100 because it's God, God blesses this. And then all of a sudden, God has all these blessings that he wants to pour on us. And, man, we got some oranges coming up right here. And, like, and you get a bag of oranges. And they say, okay, well, man, this bag of oranges, this is going to be your bag of oranges. And I'm giving it to you because I realize that the reason I have the job, the reason I got the promotion, the reason I received the inheritance, the reason I had the house in the first place, God, I'm giving it to you. And I want to honor you. And we make God a priority. And what he does is he makes us a priority. Look at, look at how big our man, table is. This is so much blessings that God has given us. This is not a lot, but we think it's a lot. And then we got pineapples, man. Thank you for, man, makes me want to go under the Bahamas right there. May God a nice little, say, God, thank you, for, thank you for all that you've done for me. Thank you how you blessed me. This one is yours. 
and the re and, and look at our table. Like we're gonna have a hard time. It's gonna be overflowing cabbage. We get man. We we got some love for some cabbage in here. So we say, God, I thank you. The only reason I can have cabbage is because you gave me everything. So I'm putting this cabbage right here, and the rest of it is yours. And what God does is he begins to bless what we can ever do. Before you know it, your table is overflowing with blessing after blessing after blessing. I mean, it's just overflowing right there. And they're falling down. And, uh, man, and you might say, Benito, but that doesn't look like my table. My table does not look like this. But we did. This is about a middle class table. This is about $350, $350 worth of groceries right here. So this is what $350 of groceries looks. And just so you can know, this is before even God blesses it. This is our 90%. And this is what we're giving to God. It's not a lot when we see how much God has given us. And then lemons, how many of y'all want some lemons right now? Man, want some lemonade right there? So one lemon belongs to God. The rest of, the, rest of them, yeah. And, and the reality is this. Dave Ramsey says this. You don't even need a miracle to live a 90% in America. You know what we need to do? Is we need to stop buying things that we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't know. And what tithing does is it breaks the materialistic coveting, living above our means. And it says, God, I'm putting you first. And then we're going to have a, a mango. Yeah, man, I couldn't tell what that was. A mango. Thank you. One mango is God's. And if you want some of this fruit, after second service, we're giving all the fruit away to the church. So come back for second service. You might need to go to H-E-B, first come, first serve, right? Come get your fruit from in, in those moments. And, and what God does is he just continues to bless and bless and bless us. And those blessings are overflowing. And, and we got some corn coming. And we look at the corn. How many of you guys want some corn? Some corn to us. Man, we got to get the corn coming real quick. And this is what Malachi 3.10 says this. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so there may be food in my house. And look what he says. He, he, gives, a, he gives this promise. He says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Broccoli. God doesn't want broccoli. You can keep the broccoli. No, no, come sit. No, 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 we'll, we'll keep the broccoli. Broccoli and cheese is good. We get some cheese, we'll be all right right there. I'm going to grab like broccoli. And he, and he says this, see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. That, that's, what, that's what Malachi says. God says when it comes to the tithe, he says, Man, see if I will not provide. Test me. He says, when I put God first, that he will open banana, banana, not going to go banana. See if I will not trust you. God doesn't ask for a tithe because he needs it. He has the storehouses of heaven. He has all these things he wants to bless us. Actually, it's a way of declaring our trust and devotion to him. Because if you read Malachi chapter 3, this is how the nation, of, the nation of Israel had backslidden. They have gone after idols. And this is how God said, you know how return to me? You want to come to me? He doesn't say worship. He doesn't say come to church more. He says, the way you return to me is by giving me your heart again and returning the tithe back to me. God loves first fruit faith. And what we, we do, God, God, doesn't, God doesn't want us to just 
pile it up over here. Look at all, look at all this. That's God's. And as God just begins, like, this is what we do. We say, I'm just going to pile it up all over here. I'm going to have this pile and this pile and this pile. And then one after, I'm not going to put it first, but what I'll give the remainder away, right? But the Bible says this, if you look at Malachi, what happens is if we don't put God first, he says this, the devourer will come. And what was the devourer? The devourer back then was fam famine, pestilence, disease. It would eat the crops. What's the devourer in our day? Interest rates, loans. Man, all kinds of junk, man, living faulty lives. Man, but when we put God first, interest, yep. And all these things, interest is a devourer. But God says, when we do that, when we put it first, look at all the blessing. We get one bread, and the rest belongs to God. And there is so much blessing that we can't even begin to hold it. So I just, I want you to just look at that, look at that picture. We think that 10% is a lot, but look, this is God's. God says, this is what I'll do. If you make me, uh, make me a priority, if you put me first, I will make you a priority, and I will bless you. And here's what I want you to understand in this point. This is before God even blesses it. Imagine what 90% under the blessing of God could do. It's an overflowing amount. And what God is saying is this. If you take care of my house, I'll take care of your house. If you make me a priority, I will make you a priority. And I want to challenge you. Talk to anybody who tithes, anybody who's been following Jesus, and see how's it working out for them. And what they'll say is this. Man, we started out tithing. We started out living at 90%. And they'll tell you it goes farther than the 100%. It doesn't make sense. We get random checks in the mail. Things always work out. People have given us cars. All these things take place. Because what happens is God does amazing things when he blesses it. But when we try to keep it all, and we sort of say, okay, I'm putting right here. All of a sudden, cars will break down. Interest will take it. Man, crazy stuff will happen. You'll get a DUI because you're not following God. That costs a lot of money. Man, all things take place, and it'll the devourer will come and devour it. But when we ask God to bless it, he will do amazing things in your life. So it's the principle of priority. The next one is the principle of contentment. We need to learn to be content. If you're taking notes, here's how we be content. Here's the secret of contentment. Gratitude. When is the last time you were just thankful? Thankful for that car you have, even though it might be old. Thankful for that house. Thankful that the AC is working again. Thankful for the, thankfulness is one of the big things that will help you to be content. See, and I'm happy with what I have. It says, Lord, I'm happy. Do I pursue more? Of course. There's nothing wrong with wanting more, but God wants to bless us. In fact, my prayer is I pray all the time. I believe God told me that God wants to bless us so that we can be a blessing to others. We should pray that God would Abraham us, but we'd accept it if he jobs us, right? But either way, I'm going to be content with God. Look, look what the scripture says about this. How do you be content? The writer of Hebrews said this. Keep your lives free from the love of money. How? And be content with what you have. Why is that? Because God said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. God is supposed to be our treasure. He alone is enough for our lives. Let me tell you, we get jealous we get envious we get greedy when people have nicer clothes than us when people has a nicer house when people have a nicer job we always want more you know why we want more because our treasure is stuff 
But if Jesus is our treasure, there's nothing more precious than him. So you'll never be jealous if Jesus is your treasure. You'll never be envious. You'll never be coveting. Why? Because Jesus is enough. If you're struggling with jealousy, if you're struggling, struggling with envy, if you're struggling with always wanting things, let me tell you something. It's because Jesus isn't your treasure. I've never found somebody that's in love with Jesus that is not content. Never. Every man, it doesn't matter how much they made, it doesn't matter where they live. If somebody is in love with Jesus, they will be content. And if you're not in love with Jesus, you're going to be frustrated. Probably the most important one is the principle of contentment. Here's another one. The third principle is the principle of margin. Margin is the space between yourself and your limits. It takes 30 minutes to get here, so I'm going to leave 39 minutes before. When you have margin, it gives you flexibility. It allows you to follow God's plan for your life. One of the reasons we could start Freedom Church is because we had margin. I had made enough dumb decisions. So when I had to buy a car when I planted Freedom Church again, I didn't get myself another 72-month loan. I was making $20,000 a year, so I bought myself a 1991 Nissan Sentra for $750. It was like hamsters were keeping the car running. I'd come to church with butt sweat and back sweat. It was horrible. We prayed and we fasted. It would pass inspection. And the car did. It never broke down. Man, guess what? And that same car for $750 got me to the same places that brand new shiny car did. I was watching a Dave Ramsey video preparing for this message. And he said, according to the American Auto Dealer Association, he said, the average car payment in the U.S. is $529 a month. He said, if you put that same money, that $529 a month, if you put it in a Roth IRA from the ages 20 to 65, you'll have $5.6 million. Margin is your friend. The fourth principle is a principle of generosity. Psalms 12 says this, God will come to him who is generous and lends freely. And I'm just talking about the church. I'm talking about going out to eat and leaving a good tip. Paul said this, in 2 Corinthians 8, 7, but since you excel in everything, he talks about all the way you sell, see that you excel in the grace of giving. The early church taught that tithing was just the entry point of giving. Irenaeus, who was a disciple of John, and Polycarp, who, mentored, who was mentored by John, and John, we said, we wrote 1 John, he wrote the book, the Gospel of John and Revelation. Irenaeus said this, that systems of giving, like tithing, never cease to be put down, that they were always in place, but the focus wasn't on the minimum, but surrendering everything to God. So as a true Christian, tithing is just the beginning. One of the things that we do is, and if we look back every year, Jennifer and I try to give a bigger percentage every year, more and more and more. And tithing is just the entry point. We want to give to missions. We want to give to other things. We're saying, God, you belong to everything. Why should we be generous? For God so loved the world, he gave. And as Christians, we are givers. And let me tell you, being generous isn't about amount, it's about an attitude. My wife, Jennifer, is one of the most generous people I know. She's given away all the furniture in her house. She's given away cars. She gives away a lot of money all the time. I'm like, how much money did you write that check for, babe? Uh, okay. God told you, right? Yes, okay. I can't argue against God. And let me tell you, she has demonstrated a heart of generosity when we were barely making $20,000 a year. And when we've done better. 
See, generous, man, what we realize, if you can't be generous, sometimes we say, oh, if I win the lottery, if I hit the, if I make that amount, then I'll start tithing. Then it's never about the amount. It's about the attitude. That's why God says, hey, 10% is the beginning for everybody, whether you make a million dollars, whether you make $10,000. Because if we can't afford to honor God in the beginning, we won't honor him when we are making a whole lot more. And the fifth principle is this principle. The principle of dependence. See, we're always trying to be independent of God. But Jesus teaches us to be dependent of God. And everything that we do in Matthew 6, he tells us to pray a prayer. It's, it's part of the prayer he teaches the disciples. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, 20 times in scripture, God asks us to ask him to meet our needs. God wants us to be dependent on him. But we try to be in, interdependent and we start to say, God, I don't need you. But what we need to do is we need to live a life that says, God, I'm dependent on you. That's what tithing does. God says, Lord, I realize that 10% means complete. The reason I got this one banana is because you have given me all those other ones, and I give it to you, and I'm showing my dependence on you so you can bless this house. I still remember it was Christmas of 2009. It was the first year of Freedom Church. The church was small. We were really poor. We were looking at our Christmas list and our budget, and the only thing we could afford to buy our girls that year were batteries that said toys not included. <laughs> I was giving the speech of why my girls weren't going to be able to get a normal Christmas. And I remember saying, God, we might only have a little bit. We, we might just have one little piece of broccoli this year. But Lord, this one piece of broccoli is going to you. And I remember, I, I wrote my tithe check, and I said, God, I trust you. Your word says that if I trust you, that you would open up the heavens and provide, Lord, I'm living according to the principles. I'm, I'm, I'm living below my means, God. I'm trusting you to open up the windows of heaven, provide for us. I trust you. That next day, I got a call from a friend in the Dallas area. He said that God had laid my family on their church's heart, that they wanted to bless us for Christmas. And my girls, this was the, this was the ask. Man, Write down everything they wanted for Christmas. Write down every dream thing that they wanted. My girls put scooters and dollhouses and every toy. And we went to that church and they invited us out there. And guess what they gave us? This is what they gave us. Over four months of food, $3,000. They gave the girls dollhouses and scooters and clothes and bikes. In the moment that we had the least money, the moment that we could not even make it, the moment I wrote down there, guess what happens? That's God opening up the windows of heaven. When I was just making $20,000 a year, God still gave them the best Christmas we can ever imagine because God is our provider. God is our sustainer. God is the one who is always faithful. This is how much he's blessed you with. And he says, God, would you trust me? I want everybody to just bow your head and close your eyes. I want us to ask us some examining questions. Say, Lord, examine my heart. When it comes to my treasure, Lord, examine it. Ask, ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, show me where my money's going. Am I putting you first? Am I living with margin? We can put God first and not live with margin. If you violate one of his principles, it'll stop God's blessing in your life. Am I living with margin? Am I content? 
Am I content with you, Lord? Are you my treasure? Am I generous? Am I depending on you? Let me tell you, like I said, trust him. I know he looks uncertain. I know all kinds of things are happening. Record inflation is taking place. And you can tell yourself, I can't afford to give to God. I can't afford to do these things. Let me tell you, you can't afford not to. Put these principles in place. Honor the Lord. Trust him. I want everybody to stand to your feet. We're just going to just say, God, if you did it again, did it back then, you'll do it again. Let's sing this song because we I want to just pray over you. Lord, pray for your people. Lord, I pray that you would maybe, by your Holy Spirit, show areas, God, where maybe we're trying to live above our means. Where, Lord, the enemies try to catch, uh, catch, uh, uh, kind of trip us up in some faulty principles. Lord, we, may we come back to biblical principles and what you have in store for us. Lord, we put you first in everything. In everything, Jesus, we know that you will never fail us. Amen.